0: With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public, free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom, and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. You're listening to Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio,
1: TNT. G'day, g'day. Thank you for joining us, and uh, welcome to the program. It's uh, great to have your company. You've actually clicked play today on what is a very significant day in the history of world leadership because the former US Secretary of State and National Security Advisor Henry Kissinger has passed at his home in Connecticut. He was aged 100. He made the three figures. He served under Presidents Richard Nixon and Gerald Ford, And he won the 1973 Nobel Peace Prize, which only added to his catalogue of controversy. Two members of the Nobel Committee resigned over the selection, and questions then arose about the US secret bombing of Cambodia dictated by Henry Kissinger. But it was his effective diplomacy towards the old Soviet Union and also China at that stage, which gained him most worldwide respect, although some commentators did say that he should have been tried for war crimes. Uh, Henry Kissinger had still been active past his 100 years, attending meetings in the White House, publishing a book, doing numerous interviews, and testifying before a Senate committee about the nuclear threat posed by North Korea. Uh, Only four months ago, he made a surprise visit to Beijing and met with and sat with President Xi Jinping at age 100. And who could ever forget his most famous quote, power was the ultimate aphrodisiac. Nothing wrong with an aphrodisiac, except some of our politicians nowadays tend to screw up under its influence. More on the legacy of Henry Kissinger later in the program. Well, Taiwan is only six weeks away from a most crucial general election. And you'd have to wonder whether the Chinese Communist Party is covertly plotting its own promotion to power through this presidential election. I'll speak with retired US Marine and Pacific region expert Grant Newsham about this landmark election. Now, you might be surprised at how much influence China has within Taiwan already, and Grant will point that out to us very shortly on the show. Elon Musk has given his CEO a grade one migraine by telling his advertisers, who are threatening to leave the social media platform X, to go and F yourselves. Oh, yeah, and not once. He did it three times in his latest interview. I'll play for you exactly what he had to say on the program and why. And in the context that you will hear, you might have some sympathy for what he had to say. Meanwhile, the two members of the royal family accused of racist remarks by TV soap upstart Meghan Markle, that's what I call her anyway, uh, have been named, yes, by TV news upstart Piers Morgan. Someone had to do it. I will play for you how Piers dropped the bombshell and we will name for you the two members of the royal family, who allegedly made racist remarks about Meghan's first child. And can I just say on the record, they were nothing um, like racism. They were nothing offensive. And Meghan Markle has made a mountain out of a very, very small molehill. Uh, From down under today, New South Wales Independent MP Mark Latham will dial in from Parliament House. Now, this is the last day of sitting in the New South Wales Parliament. And we're kind of, you know, we're only in November. We'll discuss the dirty, desperate tactics being employed by federal Labor um, against Peter Dutton, which has dominated headlines in the last 24 hours. The local council, which has decided since the voice re- referendum failed that they would dump the welcome to country acknowledgement. And uh, they were fairly short in why they decided to do such a thing. And the ABC bedwetter, yes, urging Australians to put their masks back on during Christmas time. What a dope. Uh, Later in the show, all the latest developing news related to the trampling of women's rights. You'll hear from the forthright Stephanie Bastian from the Women's Forum Australia and the transgender-related incidents occurring worldwide which she says need to be exposed. So she'll do that on the program for us today. And they need to be exposed for the sake of protecting the rights of biological women. I say here, here. And if you'd like to have your say on any of that, or if you'd like to set the agenda, please do so. The invitation is open, as are our talkback lines from right now. If you're listening from the United States or Canada, great to have your company. And you can dial that number on 1 888 2016425. I will not leave your holding, all right? We'll get you straight to air 1 888 2016425. From the UK, where it has just gone 4 a.m. in the morning, 03, 0024-1026. And from Australia or New Zealand, one eight hundred six seven zero three one zero. 670 310 Maybe you'd like to comment on the passing of Henry Kissinger. For those who are a little bit older and have spent the terms occupied by Gerald's uh Gerald Ford and also Henry um, also Richard Nixon, you may have your own version of his role in various theatres of war. You may actually think that he should have been tried for war crimes or maybe something a little bit better. Uh, Dr. Strangelove, they called him. Maybe you'd like to comment on the passing of Henry Kissinger. You go right ahead. You're with Chris Smith broadcasting live from Sydney, Australia on the Global News Talk Network. It's TNTradio.live. Connecting the dots, painting the bigger picture.
2: They always have
3: a great conversation.
0: Today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
1: You know, sometimes those in the independent news business do such fabulous work that I can't help but cover what they've done. And I like to do it almost verbatim to ensure that we actually are covering what they've said accurately. Uh, Some egomaniacs in the media, and there are plenty of those, may I uh, warn you have great difficulty giving any credence to any other journalist. They tend to want to talk about what they have done uh, and talk about themselves, but uh, those games don't interest me. A bloody good story interests me more, which is why I want to tell you about the latest post this week from Michael Schellenberger, Alex Gutentag, and Matt Tabby yesterday. Three terrific news chases. Uh, with some wonderful contacts, as many of you may know. They wrote, a whistleblower has come forward with an explosive new trove of documents rivalling or exceeding the Twitter files and Facebook files in scale and importance. They described the activities of an anti-disinformation group called the Cyber Threat Intelligence League, or CTIL, that officially began as the volunteer project of data scientists, and defense and intelligence veterans, but whose tactics over time appear to have been absorbed into multi-official projects, including those led by the Department of Homeland Security, the DHS. Now, the documents offer a comprehensive picture of the birth of the anti-disinformation sector, or what we have called the censorship industrial complex, they write. One document explains that while such activities overseas are typically done by the CIA and NSA and the Department of Defense, censorship efforts against Americans have to be done using private partners because the government doesn't have the legal authority. So in other words, let me pause for a second. In other words, they know it's illegal and certainly in contravention of the First Amendment, but they're doing it anyway. Now, the whistleblower alleges that a leader of the CTI League, a former British intelligence analyst, was in the room at the Obama White House in 2017 when she received the instructions to create a counter-disinformation project to stop a repeat of 2016. Now, let me kind of explain that to you. Many of you would understand what that means. Of course, it's a reference uh, to the real and imagined interference in the 2016 presidential campaign. As it eventually turned out, the Russians played no role in the election of Donald Trump, but the FBI and others, as we know, did all they could to conjure up such interference. But back to the Schellenberger, Gutentag and Tabby story, they write, a large trove of new documents, including strategy documents, training videos, presentations, and internal messages reveal that in 2019, US and UK military and intelligence contractors, both countries, led by a former UK defense researcher, Sarah Jane S.J. Turp, developed the sweeping censorship framework. Now, these contractors co-led CTIL, which partnered with CISA in the spring of 2020. They say that the whistleblowers' information showed what both the US and the UK would put into place in 2020 and 2021, including masking censorship within cybersecurity institutions and counter disinformation agendas, a heavy focus on stopping disfavored narratives, not just wrong facts, and pressuring social media platforms to take down information or take other actions to prevent content from going viral. All the things that we have now reported about what occurred during the pandemic. CTIL's ultimate goal, said the whistleblower, was to become part of the federal government. In our weekly meetings, they made it clear that they were building these organisations within the federal government, and if you built the first iteration, you could secure a job. Terp's plan, which he shared in presentations to information security and cybersecurity groups in 2019, was to create misinfo sec communities that would include government. Both public records and the whistleblowers' documents suggest that she achieved this. TERP later deployed the disarm framework, which the World Health Organization then employed in countering anti-vaccination campaigns across Europe. Now, as you can hear. These are the seeds of the WHO criminal vaccination conspiracy right here. The post states, the sum total of the documents is a clear picture of a highly coordinated and sophisticated effort by the US and UK governments to build a domestic censorship effort and influence operations similar to the ones they've used in foreign countries. So what this trio have posted and discovered is that all the covert tactics used to censor foreign enemies were now being employed against their own citizens, the citizens of the US and the UK. According to the whistleblower, roughly 12 to 20 active people were involved in CTIL and they worked at the FBI or CISA. They even had agency seals. The ambitions of the 2020 pioneers of the censorship industrial complex went far beyond simply urging Twitter to slap a warning label on certain tweets or to put individuals on blacklists. It was also about discrediting individuals, and those who were discredited would understand exactly what I'm talking about here, as a necessary prerequisite of demanding censorship against them. It calls for training influencers to spread messages, and it calls for trying to get banks to cut off financial services to individuals who organise rallies or events. And who are the heads of these quasi-government censorship bodies? Well, it's Terp and Pablo Breuer, another CTIL leader and they had backgrounds in the military, were former military contractors. As a matter of fact, Brewer is a former U.S. Navy commander. And he even admitted in a podcast that his aim was to bring military tactics to use on social media platforms in the United States. He said that the information and narrative control he had in mind was comparable to that implemented by the Chinese government only made more palatable for Americans. What a statement. Well, I don't think any amount of censorship should be palatable to a population of supposed free and democratic people, such as those in the United States and in the United Kingdom. The seeds that were laid in 2018 and 19, as underlined by the whistleblower and these documents, led by a team with specific military expertise, should stand as a great shame to the governments of both major countries. Now, there's a lot more to the documents that were posted by these three journalists, but what's even worse from what has been gleaned here is that the level of censorship today, which deviously strips citizens of their rights to free speech, is the complete antithesis of what a proud democratic nation should look like. And we should fight this at every single opportunity. This is TNT Radio.
4: You should hear what Charlie Robinson is talking about. I think once we saw the supply chain issues uh, that happened during the COVID debacle, you go, well, that seems bad for the, you know, when you're fighting somebody for toilet paper, but it could be worse, right? It could be the last can of food. So people are starting to reevaluate and reassess their situations and their relationship with supply chains and the like. And I think what that does is it leads you to a place of saying, how can I make myself less dependent on the system? It's kind. Kind of hard to know where to start right where would you suggest we even begin with this process
2: yeah it's funny you said that because someone said to me recently and it made me laugh that this is going to be the kind of collapse where the burger King's still open and i think that's what's probably lulling people into a false sense of security in that everything when we go to the city kind of appears normal unless you're in one of those really crazy drug adult cities but for most people i would say charlie it feels normal but it ain't normal <laughs> the wealth is not normal it's completely gone off kilter
0: Shirley Robinson on today's News Talk Radio
4: TNT
2: Radio works because of its ability to personalize to the listener. What's
4: exciting these days is that people are rediscovering it. You know, people are really rediscovering just how powerful radio is, how ubiquitous it is. It's in our cars, it's in our homes. There are so many new ways to access it. It's everywhere. To find out more,
0: go to TNTradio.live.
1: Ladies and today's news talk news and information TNT radio I want to go to talk back callers in just a second but just from our chat box which you can um, take uh, some part in on our website tntradio.live a couple of interesting comments on what I had to say uh, Tom has read all about the whistleblower documents and on the chat box he's got a link so if you want to click straight onto the link and learn a whole heap more than what I've already pointed out to you. You can do that, thanks to Tom. Thank you, mate. Uh, And Nev says, uh, it is well known that the US deep state was transferring technology to Russia. Kissinger was organising loans to Russia to supply North Vietnam with engines and weapons. The same mob still run the show. Uh, It's interesting. When it comes to Henry Kissinger, there are more questions about what his role was in these various um, wars as opposed to what we know. So although he's lived for 100 years, there'll be more questions about what he was involved in as opposed to what we know him to be involved in. Just before I get to Grant Newsham, I want to take some calls. Siv, go right ahead. Good to have you on the program.
3: Good to be here, Chris. Um, that story about the uh, cricket actually saying that, or uh, well, the cricketing authority saying that people who are transgender can't uh, compete with people who are biologically born of particular gender I think yeah. that is very positive I mean that that's that's a very positive thing if the transgender people want to have their own section well I don't think anybody would be against that just like you have a men's competition and a women's competition you could have a trans competition not sure how that would work but if they wanted to have that then go ahead and have that but I don't think people who are trans should be, a transgender should be uh, competing against people who are biologically the you know, uh, biologically a particular gender. I think there is. And I think so if you take the
1: emotion out of it, especially for those people who may have very close friends or family who are transgender, if you take yes. the emotion out of it, it is only fair minded and it, it's only, you know, uh, about having common sense to understand how unfair it is to have a biological man compete in a biologically female event, any sport. That's right.
3: Yeah. That's right. I, I, I think that that's 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 probably where the cricket authorities were going with that. Now, if you had a transgender man competing in a transgender section of of a competition, then I think that evens out in the playing field, doesn't it? If you had a transgender <laughs> uh, section, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, maybe. I but mean, it's there, interesting. Every time a, they say, is- "Hang on a minute, uh, where's our competition?" Well, there are various athletic organisations around the world, especially in the UK, that have provided. Uh, entry admission uh, for these singular events, and there have been no takers. Siv,
3: well, that's interesting. That is interesting. So the transgender people, as soon as there is an opportunity to uh, have a section for them to create uh, to compete in competitions, they're not taking it up. So, no. I think, I think, and I could be wrong, but I think this has got a lot to do with activism. Yeah, I mean, just a, just, a, just a passing thought. I think it could have a lot to do with activism. I don't think it has uh, anything to do with any genuine need to deal with these issues. Because if it had uh, anything to do with any genuine need to deal with these issues, they'd actually check this out. they say, now hold on a minute, minute. There's countries that have set up transgender sections for their competitions. Are there any takers? There aren't any takers. Okay, so maybe this isn't a goer. Just a side thought. You know, I mean, so there's possibly a lot of activism going on there. Good
1: to talk to you, Chris. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate it. Yeah, activism for the sake of activism, not necessarily for the sake of providing competition for the people who are demanding to be part of the competition with women. Um, It's activism for the sake of it. Okay, I want to get to Grant Newsham. Um, There's only six weeks to go before Taiwan holds a general election. Now, most people might say, big deal, it's only Taiwan. Well, it is a big deal because China will be using this election, no doubt, to increase its influence in the island democracy. And of course, China's goals are very clear. They want control of Taiwan by whatever means is necessary. According to a recent interview with the New York Times, Taiwan President Tsai Ing-wen said, China's leadership is too overwhelmed with its internal problems, mainly the economy, to consider an invasion of the island. Maybe, but I'll leave that judgment to our next guest. Grant Newsham is the author of the recently published When China Attacks, A Warning to America. He's a retired US Marine officer with decades of experience in the Indo-Pacific, including serving as Reserve Head of Intelligence for Marine Forces Pacific He was the first Marine advisor to the Japan Self-Defense Force and helped create Japan's amphibious unit. Mr. Newsham is also an attorney with experience in international trade and public international law. He joins me live from Honolulu. Grant Newsham, welcome back to TNT Radio.
5: Well, glad to be here, Chris. Thanks for having me.
1: Now, you were still on the line and getting ready for our interview when I was speaking about... CTIL. These are based on documents and a whistleblower that has come forward to talk about the seeds of this censorship program um, backed by the UK, backed by the United States in around 2019, 2018, which of course led. To that incredibly sophisticated censorship over the pandemic period, I—I I know you haven't sifted through the documents, and you've only just heard about it. But does any of that surprise you?
5: Unfortunately, not. Uh, you know, and I, we're all used to having a country with enemies who want to kill us and destroy us, but to have our own people trying to do this to us—it uh, is the most depressing thing that I can think of in my entire life. You know, I just never imagined. Americans, free people, would let would have this happen to them, would allow it to happen. You didn't hear our elected representatives raising Mary hell uh, when all this was going on. And you could see what was being done. Uh, but now if, if a whistleblower has come out and provided some good information, I don't think it surprises anyone. It just adds some details to it. Uh, but that's just how troubled I am uh, with this. Uh, never thought that a free people would allow this to happen to them and to roll over the way they did over the last few years. And that are, as I say, the people who are supposed to protect us, let it happen. In fact, you know, willingly joined in on it.
1: And within a country that has this predominant First Amendment, which when you start sifting through these documents, indicates that it means nothing to have a First Amendment the way they have in the United States.
5: Uh, Well, apparently not. And this is something that really goes to the, the real heart of this American experiment, uh, which is free people, free to think wh- however they want, free to talk the way they want. And now you have uh, really a basically a bunch of lunatics, you know, in power, you know, with power. And they are running with it as far and as fast as they can, uh, because they think they figured everything out. They know what's right. And it's their role to... Control us all. I think George Orwell. He he wouldn't even believe this. Yeah. Um, he'd say this is, I didn't even imagine this could happen. Um, but that's how bad it is, you know. And I am nothing. I'm not one who's inclined to hyperbole, uh, but it is just so depressing. And to think about it, you know, even the state of Texas, for crying out loud, they pretty much rolled over to all of these uh, efforts to sort of control and restrain and imprison people. And if Texas rolls over. Uh, the rest of America doesn't have much chance. And we've, I suppose we have a chance to recover, uh, but uh, this should never have happened. And I'd give our odds 50 50.
1: Yeah. I, I could understand a country that wanted to change the facts that were distributed, published, and repeated quite often on social media because facts are facts. Uh, although I don't agree that they should even touch social media, get your hands off it. But That then allows them to change narratives, to support their own narrative. And as someone who's been chasing news all his life, I've always been brought up to understand never to trust your government and what this does flies in the face of everything that we understand. But anyway, thank you very much for your comments. And also, before we talk about Taiwan, uh, the passing of Henry Kissinger, love him or loathe him, uh, you can't argue against the influence he's had on world affairs, especially related to China, which is one of the topics of our conversation today.
5: Oh, yeah. Well, certainly Mr. Kissinger knows more about life than he did yesterday. I'll sort of leave it at that. Um, But in terms of him and China, you know, he was always considered a guru and who had some just special expertise and wisdom about it. But you think about it, he really didn't know China very well at all. And the way you would describe it, if you look at all the way his visits to China, his dealings with the Chinese, it'd be the equivalent. And I'll use an American example of a Chinese guy flying to Dulles Airport in Washington gets into a limousine, is taken straight downtown to the White House, stays near there, talks to people in the White House and in that sort of world, and then he goes back to the airport and back to China. What on earth would he ever know about the United States? And that is Kissinger. But you replace it with Beijing for limousines and uh, Beijing yep. International Airport. That's, and he was never the the expert that he is, was said to be. Uh, and You hardly knew what to say, but he was considered that, and any number of people, and I used to hear this with marine officers who had read, well, I read Kissinger's book on China, and he said this, well, Kissinger doesn't know much about China, but he got fabulously rich from dealing with China after he left office. That was his thing, was to advise companies and others about China uh, based on his vast expertise, and he just got fabulously wealthy, one Australian example, you may remember Rio Tinto in the two thousands when their Chinese represent, China representative uh, got arrested by the in China uh, because the Chinese were unhappy with the price of iron ore, and they Rio Tinto apparently hired Henry Kissinger to give advice, and apparently for five million bucks. And Kissinger's advice was, "Do what the Chinese want you to do." Oh. Well, I could have done it for, I'd have done it for a million. Uh, and that's, I'm not, I think I've I'm done it for making,
1: 10. <laughs> well,
5: yeah, but I'm not making this up. And that's my point is this. Extraordinary. Uh, you know, whatever you say about Kissinger, he didn't know China very well and they played yeah. him and he got fabulously wealthy.
1: Yeah. Isn't it interesting? And yet I've got uh, a number of American experts who have lived and breathed on the ground in in China. And I've lived in Beijing myself for two years. So, you tend to understand the culture and the intuition and the intent a lot better when you're on the ground as opposed to staying in the bubble of government.
5: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, in meeting like normal Chinese, there is something to be said for meeting regular people if you want to understand a country. And Kissinger never had that. And so, but I've, he's been like you, Chris, he's been a, a big figure throughout my entire life has always been Kissinger, you know, starting with uh, Nixon in Vietnam, and he just stayed at it. And fortunately, he sort of uh, drifted off a bit in recent times. But I remember being really worried when even President Trump was took office and he met with Kissinger, and you just hoped he wasn't going to listen to what he said. And <laughs> fortunately, fortunately, Mr. Trump had some guys around him who really knew China, uh, like Matt Bottinger, who taking a punch in the face from a MSS agent in, I think, Tiananmen Square. You know, these guys knew China and that's why the Trump administration did so well. Um, but Henry Kissinger, and my other theory is that if he, if he if he had an accent, and Americans love hearing this German accent because it sounds smart. Yeah. And if he had a Long Island accent, I guarantee you nobody would have taken him as seriously. <laughs> as and I'm being a little funny, but not much, but yeah. he was certainly, a you know, a figure. Um, Had some good points and did a lot of things that were not so good, but uh, that's the human experience. And as I said, now he knows a little bit more about it all i should think
1: a lot of things that he shouldn't have done which is send too many american americans to war and brought them back in body bags but anyway we can go on further i need to take a break we'll get some news and come back with you in just a second on tnt radio
4: great news good news everyone
1: tnt radio news matt boyland here with a look at your tnt headlines former u.s secretary of state henry kissinger has died passing away at the age of 100 at his home in Connecticut. Five military personnel remain missing at sea, feared dead, after a US osprey crashed off the coast of Japan on Wednesday. The Palestinian Red Crescent has sounded the alarm over the dire state of the health system in Gaza. And Russia says we are unlikely to see a ceasefire in Ukraine for at least another year. Globalist agendas.
0: Democratic rights at risk. Corruption. Propaganda. It never stops.
1: Talking about TNT radio for a second, just a bit of navel gazing. May I please do that? I've just been given some information from management and presumably not to tell you about now, but I'll do it anyway, because I think it's good news. And it's the kind of news that I think reassures our listeners or now our viewers that you are on the right dial. That is, you're on the right independent news source, TNT Radio, because we have just reached 10 million downloads of our podcasts. Let me just explain that. So irrespective of whether you listen or watch live, as so many people do, 10 million downloads have occurred of our podcasts, so of our shows that are listed under episodes within our website. 10 million. We haven't been around for two years, TNT Radio, but it is what we do on this particular radio network that other radio stations in mainstream cannot replicate because they refuse to that attracts that kind of listenership. So thank you. Thank you very much. And I'll say that on behalf of management who put in a tireless effort to bring TNT Radio to the place it is today, both both visually, um, intellectually, Uh, In terms of its audio quality, everything about it has come up to scratch so early in its history. Uh, We're less than two years old and we've reached 10 million downloads of our podcast globally, which is beyond expectation. So thank you to you for not only listening and watching, but also passing it on to others and encouraging them to take up um, their sponsorship or their support of TNT Radio. Thank you. 10 million. Very Exciting indeed, and uh, a great indication of where we've uh, come to. I've got Grant Newsham with us at the moment, the retired Marine. Uh, We're talking about the Taiwanese elections. Um, Grant, tell me, China would be watching this very closely. Forget about the fact that they've got other things on their plate. I would have thought that an election of this magnitude with, I think, three serious presidential candidates correct me if i'm wrong would provide china with an extra in somehow wouldn't it
5: oh definitely uh, and they're watching it very closely and they're not just watching uh, as usual they're trying to manipulate things uh, and yes you said there are three legitimate candidates uh, the the incumbent party's candidate uh, current vice president li uh, you know he obviously we know what he's about uh, it's this, you know, Taiwan that is Taiwan, and, and for all practical purposes, it's an independent country. Wants nothing to do with mainland China, or getting into that tangled into that web. Uh, then you have the KMT, that's the old standard uh, party that used to govern, and they are questionable. You have some people in that who are almost pro-China, and then you have others who are not pro-China, but they're willing to talk. And then you have others who are closer to the DPP, and then there's a third guy. Uh, that's uh, uh, Mr. Ko, and he's sort of a new face. And he used to be the the mayor of Taipei. He's kind of popular. So people who are looking for a change, they might go with him. Uh, but the point is, nobody quite knows how it's going to turn out. And the Chinese would very much like to have anybody but the DPP candidate win, and that's because they think they can sort of get those guys to come into their embrace. And the Chinese, even until just recently, they were trying to uh, kind of force the TP, the the two other opposition parties, the two the KMT and the TPP, force them to unify, have a some, decide on one candidate, and pool their resources because they thought with that they could possibly beat the incumbent uh, party and that broke down because neither of those two parties wanted to play second fiddle but the right. chinese really really played rough uh, to have that happen and they they know that if they can if the dpp wins that the taiwan's just going to keep going on this vector away from china uh, and if the other two win or one of the other two wins that then they have a chance to uh, through political, economic pressure, and even military pressure, uh, bring them, sort of, have Taiwan come into the fold, however unwillingly. So China is watching very, very closely and trying to, to say, manipulate things. They spread disinformation, use social media uh, aggressively. They've got their media boys in, uh, in Taiwan, uh, very active. Um, and these military threats, they're, and the exercises they're doing. Well, that's sort of a message to Taiwan saying, "Look, there's more where this comes from. If you vote, for, and if you vote for the DPP, there's going to be more of it." Uh, Chinese officials have even said uh, for Taiwan, "This is a choice between war or peace, prosperity or uh, just uh, depression. Take your choice." So this is not at all uh, sort of a minor, obscure thing that's going on. Chinese are watching, and they will calculate accordingly, according to the results. And I think it we'll see either um, China playing a whole lot rougher, possibly even shooting, if the DPP wins. If the other one, the, one of the other candidates wins, uh, they might hold off for a bit. But their their ultimate objective of taking Taiwan has not changed.
1: Did you say shooting?
5: Uh, yes, I think that's on the the menu. Uh, when Xi Jinping talked to President Biden in San Francisco the other week, uh, if you just listen to what he said. Uh, he was kind of telling you, uh, you know, what's coming, you know, and with Taiwan, he, regarding Taiwan, he basically, I'll paraphrase it. He said, well, this talk of peace is all well and good, but at some time there has to be a general settlement of the matter. And this by their language is kind of telling you, um, if Taiwan doesn't come over, we're going to do, we're going to do anything. And Xi Jinping has even said force is something they will use if they have to. And he's in his laying his talks with president biden uh you know he was saying you know they you've got to support us in we Where uh, he was now saying it the putting the onus on the americans as you have to support our efforts for peaceful reunification even though taiwan has never been part of the prc or no. hardly, hardly part of china but now he's telling the americans well look if you uh don't support our efforts to have the chinese have the taiwanese come in however unwillingly well, we tried, and now it's time to shoot. And I say, this really is something that could be coming. And I don't think people quite believe it. And I know what Madam President Tsai said, uh, but she knows better than that. But she kind of says what she has to say.
1: Yeah, of course. The preference would be, would it not, to give the Taiwanese a choice in handing over certain power to the Chinese, to reunify but keep their own independence and to do so without shooting? Would that not be the preference? And wouldn't, therefore, this presidential election be pivotal in taking a step towards that dilution of independence?
5: Uh, If the other guys win. Uh, As I say, say the other guys, either the TPP or the KMT. But if the incumbent party, uh, the DPP, wins, uh, uh, there's no chance at that point. You know, it's very hard to see Taiwan willingly signing up for any deal with the, the Chinese. If the other two do, I think China thinks it's got a chance. And I think they say they just might back off for a bit, but if necessary, they'll use force. And there is, of course, the small problem of what the Taiwanese themselves actually want. And that's always a little hard to distinguish, to tell from an election, because so many people vote. Based on their personal circumstances, do you have a job? Can you buy a house? This sort of thing, foreign affairs, and even Chinese China relations doesn't always have the effect that you think it would. So, while an opposition party just might win, uh that that doesn't mean that most Chi- most Taiwanese want to be part of mainland China. Uh, so, so yet one has to look at it a little carefully. Um, but the. PRC, the Chinese Communist Party, Xi Jinping has said very clearly uh, that they are going to get Taiwan. And, you know, unless somebody stops them, that they are certainly going to try. Uh, other Taiwanese officials, excuse me, Chinese officials have used expressions like, it's a life or death matter, no compromise. Uh, Xi Jinping has said, look, it's inevitable. It uh, can't be helped. And they're setting the tone. They're Laying out the narrative, and the Americans are unfortunately on the back foot and not uh, just saying, well, we support the status quo, uh, while they're sort of getting engulfed in the the Chinese approach to things.
1: Okay, so let's just say they don't get their, their man, their alternative president running Taiwan from the election in January. If that happens, and we know that the United States is incredibly invested in what's going on in Ukraine and what's going on in the Middle East. Is that not the perfect time for China to invade?
5: Uh, well, they'd be sorely tempted. Um, if I was Xi Jinping, I would. Uh, the Americans can only do so many things at once. And the the last thing this administration needs is a, a war in, um, in Asia. And you could easily see an administration, and this one in particular, saying, "With the, when the time comes, you know, we're sorry. It's you know, we just can't can't handle it." And Wall Street and the business class are going to be telling them that uh, to just let it go. And there will be a lot of reasons why we couldn't do anything to help Taiwan. And there's going to be a lot of chaos going on as our election comes up. So this is certainly sort of an opportune time for the from the Chinese perspective.
1: Yeah, I would have thought so. Listen, fantastic to have you on the program again. And uh, with your comments on Henry Kissinger too, we put them in uh, certainly uh, expert context. It's good to get those comments as well. Grant Newsham, thank you very much for your time.
5: Pleasure. Thank you for having me.
1: No problem. Appreciate that. The retired US Marine officer, and uh, a fellow that's looking very, very closely at what's happening at this election. This is a presidential election, three major candidates happening on the 13th of January. That is only six weeks away. That could be pivotal to what Xi Jinping decides in reference to the so-called reunification of Taiwan. We'll watch that very closely for you. Ah, uh, stack of comments on our chatbots. Thank you very much. Fantastic. Just after I announced that we've reached the 10 million download um, stage of our various podcasts and our various shows in less than two years, which is wonderful. Um, Lozzy says, people are seeking the truth. They are sick of the mainstream BS. Uh, Pelly says, awesome results for podcasts. The people are awakening, Chris. 2 hours isn't enough thank you belly uh, nev says well done and thank you TNT many of the podcasts are classic lizzie says TNT is the best tom says congratulations to everyone associated with TNT radio 10 million podcast downloads fantastic achievement and alex says a huge congratulations to TNT radio on the 10 million downloads mark Fan-bloody-tastic. You are as excited as we are, which is good to hear. I'll come back and take your calls on our talkback lines. If you want to have your say, you can do so from Australia or New Zealand on one 800 from the UK, 033-0024-1026, or from the, U- or from the United States and Canada, one 888 This is Chris Smith on TNT Radio with his expert analysis and opinion.
0: This is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea.
4: While the fiery images of mostly peaceful protests coming out of central Dublin over the weekend were disturbing, and although no one condones arson, property damage, and violence against police, it was good to see the Irish finally get their Irish up and direct their ire where it properly belongs against their own government, which has been selling out the Irish people for decades now. What triggered the upheaval? The stabbing of a young woman and two little children, including a five-year-old girl who is still in hospital with life-threatening injuries by a Muslim maniac who was, you guessed it, known to police. The guard had disarmed the man just last month after finding him with an illegal knife. They knew he was a problem and they did nothing to stop these attacks. Ireland is actively promoting its own destruction. It is committing suicide in exactly the same way the United Kingdom committed social suicide. The number one name for new boys in Galway last year? Muhammad, for the first time ever. Ireland needs to get a hold of the fact that the enemy is within the gates and their own government are the ones that have opened the doors. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio.
3: Around here, bushfire is just a part of life. We've been through it before, and we'll get through it again. The people here all look out for each other. We're a community that does its bit to plan and prepare to keep everyone safe. We live with bushfire,
5: so we live bushfire ready.
0: Thanks for listening and being a part of the Chris Smith
1: Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. As you may know, uh, Elon Musk, on his own platform, X, has been accused of being anti-Semitic. That's because, and I've explained it in detail on previous editions of the show, but in short, he agreed with um, a post which indicated that the Israelis had colonialized areas of the Middle East and were suffering because of their own actions. And he was agreeing with that and saying that there's truth in that. Now he wasn't saying it's totally truthful. And he explained it in a post that he put forward and put on the website, put on the platform later on, but that never got any play. It was only his initial, uh, agreement and, uh, Basically, agreement with the person who posted the first uh, thought. So he's been in strife and he's lost millions and millions of dollars in ad revenue. There have been about five major companies that have just withdrawn their advertising on X. And he's got a group of advertisers who, through third parties, are now threatening to take away their advertising unless anti-Semitism on X is stopped they believe that too much anti-Semitism is getting through the so-called censor at uh, at the former Twitter and being put on social media, and they don't want to be part of it. So he was asked that in a recent interview he did this week, and he basically exploded. And without any further ado, I want to play this for you right now. Have a listen to this.
6: What was that trip like? And obviously, you know that there's a public perception that, and and you're clarifying this now, um, but there's a public perception that that was part of a apology tour, if you will. That this had been said online, there was all of the criticism, there was advertisers leaving. We talked to Bob Iger today. I hope they stop. You hope? Uh, Don't advertise. You don't want them to advertise? No. What do you mean? If somebody's gonna try to blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me
4: with money, go yourself.
2: Go yourself. Is that clear? I hope it is. Hey, Bob,
6: if you're in the audience. Well, well, let me ask you then. That's how I feel. Don't advertise. How do you think then about the economics of of X? If if part of the underlying model, at least today, and maybe it needs to shift, maybe the answer is it needs to shift away from advertising. If if you believe that this is the one part of your business where you will be beholden to those who uh, have this view, what do you do? I I understand that, but there's a reality too.
1: (laughs) Right? He will be remembered for the rest of his life as saying that about his advertisers. And to a certain degree, why would you want to be held over a barrel about what you said or what you agreed with, which is all he did, agreed with a post and say, well, we're going to take $40 million from your advertising stocks. Someone like Elon Musk won't put up with that. Now, he could have said it differently, but he said it for impact and he's got the impact, let me tell you. For, for years from now, they're going to be talking about what he just said in the last 24 hours. I'm telling you, it will go down in history as a very Elon Musk thing to say. And when you are as rich as he is, why would he give a damn? Now, the CEO will give a damn because when advertising goes down the gurgler, they'll have to get rid of people, they'll have to cut, they'll have to make it profitable. But that's not Elon Musk's problem, really, when you think about what he owns, what he invests in, what is growing for him right across his portfolio and how much money he has. He's a multi-billionaire. So I just think that it's probably well delivered. He actually feels that way. Stop threatening me. I've agreed with a particular post that had some truth to it, and he put it in context in further posts that weren't covered by the media. So in some ways, I've got a great deal of respect for what he had to say. Don't hold me over a barrel. Don't put a gun to my head. I run the company, I'll do what I want as he is always done. Now, the other bombshell that has occurred, I don't know whether you've been following the new book that's out at the moment um, and the book that basically has tipped the bucket on two members of the royal family as the two that were named by Meghan Markle in the Oprah Winfrey interview last year that indicated that they spoke in racist terms about the uh, first child of harry and megan and i remember in that interview with oprah that i thought to myself gee that's a beat up how of course if you've got a black colored wife and you've got a very uh white you know redhead father you just wonder how these genes are going to match together that's not racist Everyone talks about what the baby's going to look like in every family. I wonder what I wonder whether he'll look like you or whether she'll look like you. It's, it's often a term, and it would be even more acute in a family where you've got a black mother and a very, very red-headed father. Well, the names were restricted from being publicised because the book had an injunction on it. But... Piers Morgan, in his program, Uncensored, couldn't give a damn. In Wednesday's episode, the broadcaster revealed the names of the two royals who allegedly had concerns about the skin colour of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's son, Archie, which were accidentally mentioned in Dutch copies of Omid Scobie's new biography, Endgame, Inside the Royal Family and the Monarchy's Fight for Survival. Here's how he did it.
2: Have a listen to this. I'm going to cut through all this crap. I'm going to tell you the names of the two senior royals who are named in that Dutch version of the book. Because frankly, if Dutch people wandering into a bookshop can pick it up and see these names, then you, British people here, who actually pay for the British royal family, you're entitled to know too. And then we can have a more open debate about this whole Farrago, because I don't believe any racist comments were ever made by any of the royal family and until there is actual evidence of those comments being made, I will never believe it. But now we can start the process of finding out if they ever got uttered, what the context was and whether there was any racial intent at all. Like I say, I don't believe there was. The royals who are named in this book are King Charles and Catherine, Princess of Wales. Kate
1: would not have a racist bone in her body. Charlie would find it amusing as he finds almost everything amusing because he has a sense of humour. To ask those questions and to wonder how they would look with the combination of those two skin tones would be just normal pre-baby birth conversation in a family. Total beat up from Meghan Markle. But at least now we know the two individuals involved. I want to go to Glenn the truckie who's on our talkback lines. Glenn, go right ahead.
7: G'day, Cobb, how you going? Very well. Mate, your last uh, guest you had on when you were speaking about the censorship, he said he, he found it depressing because his own countrymen were trying to destroy the country, basically. Yeah. But everything, everything he spoke about is all happening in Australia too. That censorship. We had uh, Craig Kelly under Freedom of Information found out he was censored trying to tell the Australian people about the hydroxychloroquine and uh, ivermectin and all the realities of the vaccine. And he was censored along with the rest of the public here in Australia.
1: Social media platforms in Australia were censored internally as well. You are right.
7: when he said he found it depressing, I fully understand what he said, Chris, because I always considered myself a very patriotic, proud Australian. The night of the, the protest on the Opera House completely shattered me, and I'm not a weak man. And I'm not trying to talk myself up, but I've always punched above my weight, and I've never been afraid to be in a physical fight or, a, or an intellectual fight. But that shattered me, and... I am no longer a proud Australian because to me, and this is my opinion and my opinion only, the Anzac spirit is dead in this country. It no longer exists. And those listening on this network would would probably disagree because they still have a remnant of the Anzac spirit because they're listening. I've got to leave it there,
1: Glenn. Stay there with me. Can you stay with me? Let's pick up the conversation after the news. I'm jammed right up right now. We'll come back after the news on TNT Radio.